Live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, June 3rd, 2011. This week, episode 210 comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Joe, it's a nice day. It's good to work with you. Good weekend coming up. Back in the studio, good to have you here. At the controls is our engineer, Austin Stone Cold. No back. Okay, today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question. We've got an interview with Mr. David E. Dick, the executive director of the Virginia Department of Professional and Occupational Regulation. We're going to talk about the new Virginia... Inspector and Remediator Regulation. We'll have a little halftime report with our IE Connections editor, Tom Scarlett. We will then uh, go back to our interview, and of course, we'll have our roundup with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. You can also check us out on Facebook at IAQ Radio Program. Of course, our IAQ Radio website is updated every week with the blog from the Z-Man. And before we get started, let's start by thanking our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, to contact the show, you can just follow the link on the show invitation, or you can go to our website, iaqradio.com, and follow the link at the top that says go to the show. Of course, you can also download the show later. Uh, You can listen to it streaming from our website later. And as always, the show is available on iTunes. Don't forget, we also have ABIH, Certification Maintenance Points, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, and ACAC Renewal Credits. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com and request a quiz for the show. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in your answer. Congratulations <laughs> to Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metal Products, Mars PA, for being the first person to sort through the clues and answer our last trivia question by identifying Warren Buffett as one of the world's wealthiest investors. 
The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 3rd, 2011 has been sponsored by Cochran & Associates, the Indoor Air Quality's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Now for this week's trivia question. The state flag of Virginia bears the great seal of the Commonwealth on a field of blue. The seal depicts the goddess Virtus. She is dressed as an Amazon, armed with a spear and sword, and stands over a defeated despot. The seal displays the state motto, Sic Semper Tyrannus. What is the meaning of the Latin phrase, Sic Semper Tyrannus? Back to you, Joe. All right, Cliff, another good one that also, of course, relates back to the show. Let's do a little intro for our guest today is David E. Dick, the Executive Director of the Virginia Department of Professional and Occupational Regulation. Mr. Dick is a 1969 graduate from Marshall University with a degree in mass communications. After graduation, he went with a direct commission into the United States Army Military Intelligence Corps and completed duty assignments at Fort Knox in Kentucky, in Kentucky, Fort Hullabird in Baltimore, and the Baltimore Field Office of the 109th Military Intelligence Group, and the 4th Battalion of the 525 Military Intelligence Group in Cantho, Republic of Vietnam. Upon his return to civilian life, he returned to Baltimore, where he was employed as a reporter for construction news service and as an accountant for an international grain merchant. Back in 1974, Mr. Dick returned to his birthplace in Richmond, Virginia, and accepted a position at the regulatory as a regulatory board's investigator with the Virginia Department of Professional and Occupational Regulation. He has had several positions with the DPOR and is currently the executive director responsible for the administration of regulatory programs for the Virginia Board of Asbestos-Lead Mold and Home Inspectors, the Virginia Board of Geology, the Virginia Board of Waterworks and Wastewater Works Operators, and on-site sewage system professionals, and also the Virginia Board for Waste Management Facility Operators. We've got a little introduction music for Mr. Dick. regulation blues do we have you on the line david yes sir you do we do thanks for joining us we appreciate having you here it's uh not often we get to speak to the regulatory folks here on iaq radio and we appreciate you being a good sport and coming on I'm happy to do it for you um you know our listeners have been aware for some time now that virginia passed a mold licensing law and that there were regulations being developed. And, and can you tell us just a little bit, for those that aren't familiar with it, what the difference is between the law and the regulation? Okay, a law it results from an act of the Virginia General Assembly, which, of course, is approved by the governor. Uh, the law enabled, in this case, the law enabled the Board for Asbestos, Lead, Mold, and Home Inspectors to promulgate regulations governing those individuals performing certain mold remediation and inspection functions. A regulation is developed and placed into effect under the provisions of the Virginia Administrative Process Act, which requires public comment and executive branch review. All meetings developing and proving regulations are open to the public, and the public is encouraged to attend. To attend. In other words, the law essentially uh, empowers a group, in this case the board, and to do something specific. For example, come up with regulations that you know regulate three types of of individuals. Okay, and that is exactly what the board has done. I noticed, you know, when we did your introduction, you've got one, two, three, four different boards listed under your purview here and I'm, I'm curious are there additional boards under the department of professional and occupational regulation or are those the only four? Oh no there are uh something like 19 boards in total and a couple of couple of programs that don't have boards but uh, uh this agency regulates somewhere in the neighborhood of 300,000 firms and individuals through those boards 
So I am one of several executive directors that is the, I guess you would say, the, the staff administrator you know, for those board's needs. I see. Okay. Cliff? What sort of consortium of people helped develop the regulation, Dave? Okay. The regulations were developed and adopted by the board with the administrative support of me and my staff. Board committees were appointed to develop the regulations, and they met a number of times. Each committee meeting was a work session and was open to the public. Uh, you know, the board, of course, is, is composed of people from the asbestos and lead industry, as well as some home inspectors. And we did receive a, another board member, another uh, appointee, who came from the mold industry. I was rather pleasantly surprised to find out that a number of the uh, people that were on the board that were in the asbestos and lead business are also very familiar with mold and to some degree you know involved in mold activities so i feel like we had you know a good representation uh i would like to have of course you know heard more from you know people in the industry and that sort of thing but uh we it seems like we're always looking for more information than government that you know than we're able to get so well I, I'm I'm not sure if you answered, but how many people were on the uh, on the group that assisted with the regulation again? Oh, uh, I think there were eight or nine. I don't remember the exact number that were on it. And they on the meet board. under your you or one of your office people there. They meet together with them as well. Oh, they meet. You know, the meetings must be publicly noticed and they're open to the public. But they meet here in our offices uh, in. Uh, West Richmond, and yes, I'm there. Members of my staff are there, and of course, what our job is is to help them through the process. I mentioned the Virginia Administrative Process Act a few moments ago. It lays down a, uh, I guess you would say, a rather stringent path to be followed to, you know, to put regulation, to develop regulations, and put them into effect. So my role is to, you know, assist the board, who, of course, are, you know, largely business folks. They're in, you know, one of the regulated businesses, and, you know, they're coming together to, you know, to you know, produce regulations. And, uh, you know, my job is to, you know, is to help them through that. I see. Now, were you lobbied by any, you know, there are numerous indoor air quality associations out here and disaster restoration associations and... HVAC cleaning associations, a few sponsor our show. Were you lobbied by any of these organizations to somehow include them or their people in the licensing portion of the regulation? Not that I can recall, no, sir. Okay. That's, uh, I was just curious about that. And we've had a couple text questions come in, so I will make sure that we get to those. i got people sending them by phone and I uh, haven't had any on the on the computer yet, but I'm sure they'll come through. Cliff? Yes. Um, is there something specific that occurred that made the legislature feel that it was necessary to license mold contractors and consultants? Well, the way the legislature works is some member of the legislature puts in a House bill or puts in, a, I'm sorry, puts a bill in front of the General Assembly proposing a new law or a change in an existing law. In this case, it was in the 2009 session of the Virginia General Assembly. Delegate Daniel Marshall put forward House Bill 2032, which you know created the uh, the licensing program for uh, you know, for the mold industry. And the bill was passed by both houses, signed by the governor, and the regulatory programs are always created in Virginia for the purpose of protecting the public health, safety, and welfare. So it was evidently the General Assembly's, uh, or at least the majority of the General Assembly's, you know, belief that House Bill 2032 was meeting a public protection uh you know, requirement, and therefore it was passed. Gotcha. Well, yeah. That, so that was 2009, and here we are in 2011. I assume after the law was passed, they gave you some time within that law to, you know, put together a group of people, go through the board, um, work on a regulation. Can you tell people a little bit about um, 
well, you know, it seems like the regulation pretty much is confined to licensing issues. Is that accurate, or are there other things I should be mentioning? Uh, no, the, the regulations do essentially two things. They create the standards uh, that one must meet in order to become licensed. And, of course, they create you know, performance standards uh, that people must follow in order to maintain their license. In other words, uh, I become licensed. I am therefore compelled to follow you know, the regulations, whatever the regulations say I must comply with in the process of pursuing my profession. Okay, if I fail to do that, and it is brought before the board, well, the board has the authority to do a number of things. You know, first, they can just revoke my license, and I can't, you know, make a living in mold anymore. Or they could uh, fine me, suspend my license, any number of any number of things. In fact, I could be fined up to $2,500, I think it is, for each violation. Uh, that very rarely happens. Usually, when uh, you know when folks are found in violation of the regulation, they're uh, you know they are fined or uh, placed on suspension for a short period of time. Now, of course, I'm talking very generally the the whole agency. No action, of course, has taken place concerning you know anyone in the mold industry. Well, let's go into that a little bit more with respect to first of all. I want to make sure listeners know the regulations were published on what May 23rd. We sent a link out with our invitation so people can obviously review the regulation on their own. And those that are in Virginia, I'm sure will will want to do that. But for those who just want to get an overview now, um, can we first start with when will this regulation actually become effective? Is there like a 30 day period from May 23rd where the comments will be reviewed, et cetera, and then it goes into effect on a certain date? goes on into effect on July 1, 2011. Okay. So they will, the, the law will go, the regulation will go into effect on July 1, 2011. And how soon can people apply for a license? They can apply right now. Yesterday afternoon, we got our website updated, so it has a copy of the final regulations and it uh, also has the application forms. Now, we will not be able to process any applications we receive until July 1, because July 1, the regulations go into effect, and also the Code of Virginia, the amendments that were adopted in 1907, I'm sorry, 2009, go into effect. Okay. Okay. So, you know, that's when the law becomes effective and the regulations under it. And that's when we can start processing applications. But anyone can send them in now if they want to. Now, let's clarify for people. The licensing is for individuals. I understand, as I understand it, we have a license for workers, we have a license for supervisors, and we have a license for inspectors. Are there any firm or company licenses required? No, sir. The closest thing to that is the mold training courses, the courses themselves must be approved, and of course, the uh, the firms providing the uh, you know the training must meet certain standards that are in the regulations. But that's not called a license; that's called an approval. Okay. And um, Cliff, did you want? I actually I actually have a question. Um, I'm familiar mostly with pest control regulations and, and licensing, and know that. Uh, there generally is a specific type of insurance requirement that is included with license. I know in Pennsylvania and most other states you have to have not just a general liability, but there's some specific uh, licensing that you have to have for pollution, contamination, risks, and so on and so forth. I was just wondering whether or not there are any specific insurance licensing requirements under this new mold regulation? No, sir, there is not. Okay. All right. And I guess since we've mentioned training programs, we should probably ask, you know, when will any of these, and there are required training programs within the regulation, you have to attend a required training program through an approved training provider. Can you give listeners a a guesstimate on when any of these training programs would be available? 
We hope to have several approved by July 1. Uh, a number of uh, organizations that do training have contacted us, you know, expressing an interest, and, you know, we've sent them out, you know, applications and information and so forth. Uh, some of them are, you know, firms that are already doing, you know, environmental uh, training anyway, asbestos-led, uh, uh, that sort of thing. So as soon as we get the applications in and can review them, our goal is to, you know, have them all ready to, you know, to officially approve on July 1 and put out on our website. Uh, of course, I haven't seen the first application yet, but then it's still kind of early on in the game, too. Uh, we, we hope to have, I think, like three, four, or five, something like that. And if we can get those uh, approved and on the website on July 1, I'll tell you, I'll be one happy executive director. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now, if if you already have a mold license issued by another state, for instance, uh, Florida now has licensing um Louisiana has some licensing. Uh, Arkansas has a little something in place. Um, trying to think who else. Uh, Maryland passed a law, but they never financed the. They passed a regulation even and never financed the, the, enforcement of it. So you can't even get a license there. But I guess if you've got a license from another state, can you get a Virginia license through reciprocity? It's not exactly called reciprocity. Okay, but the law and the regulations allow a person holding a current license, certificate, or registration to engage in the practice of mold inspection or a mold or mold remediation issued by another state, the District of Columbia, any territory or possession of the U.S. based on requirements that are substantially equivalent to Virginia law and regulations that were in effect at the time their original license was issued may be licensed. In other words, the question is coming up, if you have a, you know, a license in another state and you're interested in Virginia, what Virginia is going to be doing when you apply is looking at how you got that license there. If you met a standard that is at least as rigorous as Virginia's, then you would be you know, eligible for licensure based on that. Now, it's not an absolute certainty, but it's something that's within the power of the board to, to recognize. Let's understand that there are other, understand there are other other things that you know that must be dealt with. For example, a serious criminal record uh, might it might in itself eliminate anyone who uh, who applies for any license. Let me. But uh, as far as far but as far as the training aspect and the experience aspect, that sort of thing, if they got a license, if one got a license in another state based on a requirement that's very similar to ours, or at least as stringent as ours then we're very likely to issue a license. You know, I left one out that would probably be, in my, as as I understand it, the most similar at this point, at this point to Virginia, and that's Texas. So I did leave that one out. I want to make sure I point that one out. Now, before we go into the next question, I know Cliff has one, but before we do, I'd like to kind of clarify for listeners who who is, or let's put it this way, what types of activities with respect to mold inspection and or remediation are covered by the law. So in other words, if you're doing something like um, cleaning the deck on somebody's home and it might have some fungi on it, are you covered? And can you give us kind of an outline of who, what types of activities are covered by the regulation? Okay, I can start with the three types of individuals that will be required to be licensed. First, of course, would be the mold inspectors, then the moldy, mold remediation workers, and then the mold remediator supervisors. Okay, now let me uh, let me go turn around here and get my and get my regulations. Uh, certain people are exempt you know, from the licensing requirement. That would be a case where mold contamination for the total project affects an area of less than 10 square feet or an owner or the managing agent or employee of an owner performing mold inspections or mold remediation on the owner's residential property, provided such property contains no more than four residential units. 
uh, lab technicians who analyze mold samples as long as it's uh, uh, limited to analysis that is performed solely in a laboratory. They don't have to be licensed. Uh, an individual performing activities limited to power washing and surface cleaning of a building ex exterior does not have to be licensed. And someone who's conducting a phase one environmental assessment that is conducted in accordance with ASTME 1524-05 standards does not have to be licensed. Professional engineers correcting a moisture problem and only to the extent that they correct the moisture problem. And any individuals applying chemicals to a wood structure for the sole purpose of controlling wood destroying pests in compliance with the Virginia Pesticide Control Act. Long list, I know. Okay, well that's that's kind of sets the the bar, the minimum bar there of who would and wouldn't be licensed or required to be licensed. I had a text question from a listener about HVAC technicians, I guess, that are performing. Uh, let's take, for example, coil cleaning. They do a lot of coil cleaning. There's obviously a lot of times uh, some type of microbial contamination on the coils, whether or not we actually sample it to determine if it's mold or bacteria or whatever the case may be. They're probably going to disturb more than 10 square feet. Would you, and I understand that these things still need to be ironed out, but I mean, can you give us an idea if you think that type of activity would be covered? Uh, it's hard for me to listen to a description and, you know, make a determination that a license is or is not required. Okay, mold remediation is defined in the code and in our regulations as cleaning mold from building material surfaces or the removal of contaminated building materials that are unsalvageable and other activities, including applying biocides or antimicrobial compounds and sanitation protocols intended to prevent future mold contamination. Now, I it's hard for me to you know to, to answer the question about you know cleaning ducts and cleaning air conditioner coils because that's something that uh, you know I do from time to time. And a, a lot of homeowners do, I think, replacing filters and you know clean the uh, you know whatever dust is accumulated in the in the condenser that sort of thing. So, unless uh, what is being done falls under this definition of mold remediation, then I would say it's, you know, it is not something that is covered by the law and the regulations. Okay, so it sounds like sort of if it, the intention is something other than mold remediation, that that would be a gray area, and it sounds like maybe that wouldn't be covered, I guess. But I don't want to put you on the spot and have you try and give us an answer here on the air. But, um, you know, it's something that we can we can follow up on later. Okay, sir. All right, Cliff. Is there any provision for licensees who are members of a trade association, be it a state or national association? You know, many of these people... Uh, it may have existing training that they've received uh, through these organizations, certifications, and so on and so forth. So is there any, I guess, is there any provision for, you know, people that were trying to dot their I's and cross their T's and, you know, kind of comply with everything before there was really a need to comply? Yes, sir. There is a provision that would allow a license to be issued to someone certified by a national or state professional, you know, mold uh, inspector or remediator association, provided that that person's class of membership at the time the membership granted is substantially equivalent to the requirements established by the board for all applicants. In other words, if the training they undertook, for example, uh, was substantially equivalent to what the board required, and the other you know standards were substantially equivalent. Then the board could issue a license to someone who you know had a membership in such an association. Okay, thank you. And that wording, as I recall, is pretty specific. Uh, that you had to have certain membership, and it did have to you know whatever training you had had to meet the requirements of uh, the current regulation in Virginia, and that's that's going to be an interesting uh, judgment call for your group, I guess. 
Well, that's something I started to mention earlier, but I think you've come right down to it here. Uh, anyone who is found in Virginia performing a function that requires a license, but they're found not to have that license, is subject to criminal prosecution for unlicensed activity. It is a Class One misdemeanor in Virginia. Uh, now, what this agency does, if we become aware of someone who is doing something that requires a license, but he doesn't have the license, he or she doesn't have the license, uh, we contact them and attempt them to get, you know, to come into compliance. And of course, if they come into compliance, then you know, then that's fine. Uh, you know, no more is said. But the question that I have difficulty answering when somebody says, "Do I need a license because of?" That's because of the you know, possibility of criminal prosecution. I'm not comfortable answering that question. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not competent to give legal advice. That is very much you know, a question that would require uh, someone to consult an attorney. That's an excellent point, and we appreciate that. And I think it's also a good point for us to go to what we call our halftime uh, we're on the line here with Mr. David Dick, the Executive Director of the Virginia Department of Professional and Occupational Regulation. Have had an interesting first half. And, David, if you could hold on for just about two minutes, we've got it. Well, maybe it'll be about four minutes. We've got a little news update for what we call our halftime, and we'd like to get back to the second half of our show. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. Association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. And, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right, we've got Mr. Tom Scarlett, the editor of Indoor Environment Connections. Tom, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here, Jeff. Good. Uh, thanks for joining us. I know you have a couple of updates for us this week on some current events in the indoor environmental quality world. Uh, why don't you go ahead and have at it? Yes, I do. I've got. Um, there's been a lot of interest in the uh, there's a federal regulation known as the RRP rule, uh, renovation, repair, and paint. It has to do with lead paint and how you deal with uh, indoor environments where you're uh, dealing with the paint that um, was used typically before 1978. And EPA has this regulation about contractors who perform work in these homes have to be EPA certified or save some fairly steep fines. But now the um, and there's been a lot of members of Congress who have complained about this. They get letters from their constituents saying that uh, they people haven't had the time to get certified on this or the fines are too steep. And and now the EPA seems to be saying that they're going to reconsider the rule to some extent. Um, there's a White House initiative to try to curb burdensome regulations, and this is one of the rules they mentioned is something they might modify because the industry is finding it uh, 
we got a lot of feedback from industry about uh, how burdensome the regulation is. So it's not clear exactly what they're going to change specifically, but the fact that, you know, in the past it's always been members of Congress complaining about this, and now it's more the executive branch, the administration itself is saying, well, we might go back and take another look at this. Hmm. Aren't there a couple of, like, amendments or additional requirements that may go into effect, too, here fairly soon? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I think there was one that had to do with um, just white testing after renovations, um, additional cleaning. Um, yeah, I mean, those... Uh, Any word if those are still in in order or still planning on, you know, we're still going to see those come out, or are they maybe on hold because of this overview? EPA said it was now reviewing the efficacy of these additional requirements, so it's... Uh, those might be the uh, elements of the rule that um, that get changed. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll keep keep watching that. I understand you've got a uh, USGBC lawsuit update, too. Yeah, this uh, lawsuit, lawsuit is ongoing um, where, uh, you know, Henry Gifford um, doesn't like the uh, the lead system for evaluating green buildings, and he's, he's filed a lawsuit essentially claiming that it doesn't, um, that the claims that have been made for it are... Uh, you know, constitute uh, one could say fraudulent uh, assertions about it under the federal uh, advertising laws. And of course, the U.S. Green Building Council came back and filed a big motion explaining why Gifford uh, was wrong and they should dismiss the lawsuit. Um, the latest development is just that Gifford has filed his own motion in opposition to what the Green Building did and said that um, you know the uh, it really has more to do with sort of technical issues under the uh, false advertising laws of the federal false ad. But um, it comes down to the National Building Institute uh, study whether it, whether uh, lead really saves energy to the extent that they claim. And Gifford is uh, reiterating his argument, saying that the study lead does not indicate. Okay, we're breaking up a little bit, so maybe we'll get to this third item real quick, and then uh, we'll move back to our interview with Mr. Dick. But uh, I think you had a third legal-related uh, news item as well. Yeah, it just has to do with, remember, a couple of years ago there was big news about all the Chinese drywall that was uh, giving off toxic gases and making people sick, and there's been a settlement. It, it doesn't end the litigation, but there was a settlement uh, reached in the litigation with one of the suppliers of the tainted drywall and a couple of the companies, primary insurance companies. So that, you know... You don't hear as much about the Chinese drywall as you did maybe a year ago, but the litigation is ongoing, and there's, there's been a settlement of some of the claims. Okay. Well, Tom, thanks for joining us. We always appreciate having you on, and uh, look forward to another news break here, at least um, if not next week, maybe the following week. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Let's go back to our interview with uh, David Dick. Hello, David. Do we have you back on the line? Yes, sir, you do. All right. Great. Let's uh, let's go into a little more detail on the on the on the new regulation here, is there, you know, it's going into effect on July 1st, 2011. I'm, and we can't even, you can't even approve applications for licenses until then. I'm curious, you know, will people who do not have a license, will they have to stop working on July 1st, 2011? Okay. It is understood that nobody's going to have a license on July 1, and that it may take some time to get training providers approved and for folks to complete the training, apply for, and receive a license, that sort of thing. I can't tell people that it's okay to violate the law, okay? But what I'm what we are saying is, is please come into compliance just as quickly as you can, okay? And again, let me emphasize what I said earlier. This agency's goal first is to bring people into compliance. So we ask that you know if you are doing a work that requires one of you know one of these licenses, that you get the information, get the application forms, take the training, whatever is necessary in your case, and move to become licensed just as quickly as you possibly can. Okay, Cliff. You know, I can see a contractor saying, "I didn't know that I needed to have a license." Um, what is the state, or what are you, what's your organization doing to get the word out to notify um, these people? I mean, do you have ads on television, billboards, uh, newspaper, direct mail? Um, how are you reaching out to contact 
the people that are going to be affected by the regulation? We have something called a public participation guideline list, which is a list of everybody who has contacted us saying, I have an interest in what the Board for Asbestos-Led Mold and Home Inspectors is doing. Anytime we have a regulatory action, and of course a final reg is a regulatory action, we notify them in writing or by email if they provided us an email address, you know, telling them what is happening and when to find how to find information on it. Uh, as far as direct mailing to everyone in the industry, well, we don't really have a list of everyone in the industry. We ever the name of every name and address of every mold association that we've been able to you know to find it has uh, been provided information, and that is as you know as thorough a job as we are capable of doing. That's fine. And, of course, you've joined us here today on IAQ Radio right. to help get the absolutely. word out. Absolutely. And we do appreciate yes, that. And um, I can be—I can assure you that the, the word will get out. We'll have, we have quite a few people listening in live, and we'll probably have about four or 500 downloads of the show afterwards. So I'm sure we'll uh, help get the word out. And a lot of the people that listen are also, like, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper. I'm sure they will have an article on this uh, in their next edition and others. So we do appreciate that. Um, yeah, and one other thing I'd like to mention, a member of my staff has, you know, gone out uh, a number of times. We've been asked to speak to uh, organizations who have, you know, had a gathering where they were concerned with, you know, the changes in the mold regulation. And, and you know, we do that, you know, virtually any time we're invited. So, you know. We're happy to do that sort of thing. Well, we do appreciate that. I guess um, you kind of already answered the question on, on grandfathering. In other words, if people have certain certifications already or if they uh, have taken certain training or met certain requirements that they can be grandfathered in, essentially. Do you have any specific guidelines set up yet for who does and who does not fit those requirements? No, we uh, have been a, have been in the process of contacting all of the you know the mold uh, organizations you know that we could we can find that would have you know membership any national or state professional mold organization and you know, asking for information from them so we can look and see you know what their standards are to you know determine whether or not you know folks with that kind of uh, Membership will be eligible under the, you know, the section we mentioned earlier. Uh, we will, of course, look at the, you know, the entry requirements for any state when somebody sends in an application saying, I've got a license in another state, you know, to see if they are equivalent. Uh, but those will be done, of course, on a case-by-case -case basis. David, I got a question. What happens if I do multiple things? I'm a one-man operation. Uh, I might do inspection, I might actually do the remediation, and I might actually be supervising myself doing the remediation. Uh, is there one license that kind of covers all three things, or would I actually need to have all three licenses? Two licenses would be sufficient, the, uh, the mold inspector and the mold remediator supervisor. supervisor okay. Okay, and the, it, a big issue that we hear a lot about on the show is post-remediation. In, in some industries, they call it clearance. In some, they call it verification. But in other words, at the end of a project, is there a requirement for building owners that fall under the requirements of having a licensed person do their work? Is there a requirement for them to have some kind of verification of completion? There is no requirement on the building owner. We have no authority over them whatsoever, and I would have to research the reg to get the second answer about clearance. Uh, give me just a moment. Okay. Be able to find that. I'm I'm inclined to say there is, but I'm if don't I want to say that out loud until I find it. I understand. <laughs> so you if I recall correctly, there was no requirement for a third-party clearance, but that if there was a clearance, it had to be done by someone who was not 
affiliated with the That's contractor correct. in any way. There, you know, there are of course conflict of interest provisions. Okay. okay. And there, I believe there is a reference to one of the more national standards. Well, we can, you know, give you a second to. That's in. That's in. Uh, the national standard would be. Would be. Would be. Would be. Uh, ASTME fifteen twenty seven oh five. And just okay. I want to be able to find it here in a second. All right. While you're looking for that, I will uh, kind of set up the next question here as you're you're finding a. Um, a reference for that because this also ties into it and that is you know would uh, is there a requirement within the regulation I didn't see one for someone to do an inspection prior to a mold remediation project taking place so in other words does a, a contractor are they allowed to go in and look at a project and then bid on the project and do the project without bringing in a third party inspector to both investigate and do the post remediation verification anyone who's doing mold inspecting okay needs to be licensed i can recall no requirement that a licensed mold inspector perform an inspection prior to a remediation if one wants to assume that everything that you know appears to be mold you know in a structure is something that you know that needs to be remediated and they want to go and remediate it I don't have anything here that would stop folks from doing it okay I I don't recall that either I've looked it over pretty carefully so I think uh, I think we're on the same page page yeah, there Cliff a, a, actually yeah Dave there, there's something I, I need to clear up because you know I, I write a blog afterwards and there's something that I'm not clear on uh, previously we talked about what activities were covered by the regs and, and where there were some exemptions. And, you know, we talked about engineers who were dealing with the water part of it, or we talked about pest control companies who were treating for wood-destroying organisms and so on and so forth. And one of the things that you talked about was these properties uh, with four units or less. And I was trying to figure mm -hmm. out who was kind of exempt there. Okay, that would be any individual. Wait a second. Hold on. Just let, let me. Yeah, forward. this this would be the owner or managing agent or employee of an owner okay. that performs mold inspection or remediation on the owner's residential property, and provided the property contains no more than four residential dwelling units. Okay. Go from go from four to five dwelling units, and it becomes regulated. That, from being in this business for a long time, that is essentially identical to the national environmental, uh, the national emission standards for hazardous air pollutants, the asbestos regulation, which also requires that you have a an inspection done prior to renovation. Uh, actually, they call it. Uh, uh, demolition or renovation of a building and they break it down into four units or more you know four, four units more than four units you have to have that done. yeah that brings up yeah that that is that that is abatement that you know that is correct but even in the case of asbestos if one does not want to you know to fool with having an inspection one can assume that all the materials are asbestos containing material and you know do the abatement in that manner just remove everything as though it's asbestos containing and you know you be in compliance i don't know that people do that very often because you might end up you know it's very possible that there's no asbestos at all and or there's a lot less than you thought there was but that is that is also allowed okay cliff did you yeah, follow it's really an obscure question but you know going back to the pest control uh, familiarity that I have uh, you know there I mean you can buy products at a Home Depot and kind of do things yourself 
There are what are called restricted-use pesticides, and these are only available to people that have the license. But then there's a special type of licensing that governs farmers. And I'm just wondering whether there's like any provision for, for farmers. You know, for instance, if I, you know, lived on a farm and I had, you know, I was raising livestock or I was storing grain or whatever, and I ended up having a mold problem in one of these farm buildings, uh, is there some sort of provision that would exempt farmers or? Uh no, I don't see one. Of course, the the one about uh, performing work on one's own property, that's limited to residential property. I don't know whether a farm would be considered residential in its entirety or not. I There are no words here to guide me. Okay. okay. Now, we've got a text question, and it, it falls right into place with uh, what we had planned on asking anyway. And and the text question is, where can the actual regulation be viewed online? So can you give uh, listeners the, the link to that? And by the way, anybody that got the show invitation, I did put a link in the description of the show and the description of our guest today. Uh, there's a link that goes to the, oh, David, help me with the name. Um, Virginia Town Hall? It's Virginia Town Hall, and then there's the Virginia Register. Register of Regulation. Yes. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Well, there's a there's a third one as of yesterday afternoon, and that is uh, the department's website. That's www.dpor. That's Delta Papa Oscar Romeo. Dot Virginia spelled out. Dot gov. And when you when you get there, gov. Yes. Okay. And when you get there in the left-hand column, there will be a a, a list of, of links you can choose. And the one you want to start with is the one that says Licensing and Regulation Boards, which is the fourth one down on the left-hand side. Click that one up, and you'll get a list of all of our Licensing and Regulation Boards. You're interested, you have to, uh, you have to, uh, uh, page down a little bit, but you'll find a list of all the board websites. And the third one down is asbestos lead mold and home inspectors. Click that, and you will find a copy, a link right to a copy of the mold regulations. And go down a little further, and there will be a link to all of our application forms. Great. So. Everything that you would need will be right there. Yeah, I, I just searched it, and I was able to come up with all that. You came I mean, right they're, they're already on the search engines and everything. So Great. I just, I just searched Virginia mold regulation, and it popped right up. We'll put a uh, copy on our resources page, too, for IAQ Radio for listeners. And uh, I'm curious, you know, you, this was published on May 23rd, the regulation itself. Have you had many comments since, since publication? Uh, no, let me check on the town hall real quick and see if they got any. No, sir, we've received no comments at all as of today. Okay, so things look like they'll just move along as is. I mean, what what if you did get a a, a bunch of comments? Would there be some possibility that, that things would change at this point, or does it look like things are pretty much cut in stone now? Oh, it is possible up to the you know the very last minute that something would happen to you know to cause a change. That happens very very rarely. Uh, if someone were to you know enter an objection, and the objection that they enter is something that had been covered in the public comment period earlier, and the board had responded to, then there would probably be no action taken. But that's something that happens rarely. There is a section of the Administrative Process Act that guides us. So when these things happen, we can't really, you know, give an answer, you know, very quickly. I can only speak very generally. Uh, and as of now, I am aware of nothing in the way of comment on the final final regulation. Okay. Well, let's go to what we call a roundup here, and that's where everybody gets one last question, and we'll be right back. 
Let's bring Dr. Weil in and see if he's got a quick comment. Okay, hello, Dieter. I, I hear, I'm hearing my Beethoven. Yes, yes, sir. Do you have a, we've got about five minutes remaining here, and I know we've well, got... I, I, I wrote down a couple of uh, uh, things over here as I was listening. And okay. the first one yeah. is, you know, congratulations to Andy again. <laughs> Andy is a dear friend of mine, and he is allowed today to listen to the subject uh, uh, of our conversation because lead was mentioned, and he is very much interested in lead. Anyway. Okay. David, did you want to jump in here for just a moment? Yeah, the, the question you had earlier about uh, you know a final clearance, there yes. is a provision. It says all mold inspection. Wait a second. No, no, wrong one. If contracted to perform a post remediation verification by the building owner or his authorized agent, the licensed mold inspector shall use documented methodologies that incorporate adequate quality control procedures. So that's the answer to the question concerning uh, remedi- uh, post remediation verification. Okay, thanks for that. And Dieter, did you want to make another comment? Oh yeah, absolutely. I uh, and, and and we we talked about it for an hour, and David mentioned that it is incredibly difficult to put you know regulations in uh, which will stand the test of time. Uh, people don't. If somebody would like to know why it takes so much time to get a regulation through, I would suggest to go to the Administrative Procedure Act of the United States of America, and you will find out why it takes years to get something rolling. It is just unbelievable. It first has to be written by lawyers for lawyers. Then it has to be um, published in the Federal Register, and it's very, that is parallel to what is happening in states. 